Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Every small change helps that circular problem. Everything chips away at it. Everything chips away at it. And when you get everyone chipping away at a problem, problems get solved. My guest today is none other than Karen James, or KJ to most that know her. We met years ago when she headed up ComBank's Women in Focus program, an incredible initiative that she also founded. KJ is renowned for her big picture thinking and strategic mind and has a 30-year background in engineering, banking, IT, consulting and change management. Karen is now the CEO and acting Asia-Pacific Director for Business and Development, a global NGO whose goal is to use inclusive business outcomes and approaches to address poverty and help achieve sustainable and profitable outcomes. Karen is also an author and her book On Purpose is a modern day business book for people who want to steer their work back on course with purpose leading the way. KJ and I always have such fascinating conversations about life, business and making a difference. So I'm thrilled to have her on the show. Karen James, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's lovely to be here, Michelle. Always a pleasure to touch base and catch up with you. I know, I can't wait. You and I have had so many amazing conversations over the years, so I cannot wait to see where this goes. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be the need for the world at large, our planet, to move to a regenerative, circular planet. Oh, I love that. And we need to do it in a non-judgmental, loving way. Oh, good point. Because we are all going to have things that aren't regenerative or circular in our life. And as long as we're heading in the right direction, that being forward, we're moving together. So that we need to have that topic and we need to hold the space for that kind of mindset change without judgment. Yeah, I'd love to get into that a little bit more about what you mean by that. But first of all, what do you mean by regenerative? What's the definition of that? So I'm sure if there was a scholar on, they'd have a very clear definition. So I'm just going to explain what it means to me and what it means to us at Business for Development, because we think about it all the time. And probably the best way to explain it is to probably make an analogy to maybe something like single-use plastics, right? So when you look at single-use plastics, that is a topic everyone's talking about. And it's probably come from that one image of the turtle with the straw up its nose, and it just snowballed into this bigger topic. And that's fantastic. And everyone's talking about it. And that is great. The challenge with single-use plastics is it's just one part of the supply chain. And if we think about supply chains as value chains, where everyone is getting a fair outcome from that chain, from when we start to make something until we deliver it to the consumer, including the key stakeholder being the planet, we would then think about all the pieces in that chain. And we need to take that chain from being a linear model to a circular model so that everywhere we're using something, we're thinking about, do we need a lot of this? Can we use less of this? And then when we use this, how do we put it back into the system? Because 
I think recycling is fantastic, but one of the problems with recycling and the bins, the colored bins, is we think I've done the right thing because it's in the bin. But when you look at the data on where those bins go, they're very disheartening. When it's circular, it's never getting into the bin because it's going back around into something else. And One Million Women, who is a fantastic organization, did a post yesterday on, on food. Oz Harvest is always doing it. You know, that just shows how do you turn a meal into a circular meal, you know? And a circular meal looks like you buy only what you need, right? You look in your fridge before your food shop. You then make the meal. You then have the leftovers. And then anything that absolutely cannot go, well, then that goes to compost. And that's a circular meal. And it's a great simple post. And it's like, okay, that's I can do that. Because of Dennis and I always traveling so much, we're so conscious of the waste of food that we would have in the fridge. And we tend to shop nearly every day because we eat very fresh as well. We don't eat a lot of processed food. But anytime my mates come to my house and they've got, you know, a gazillion kids as well, they open the fridge and they're like, you have no food in your fridge. <laughs> it's like, I'm like, yeah, well, because we only buy as we eat the day. So they think that's a bad thing. Whereas I'm so glad you're saying, you know, we're doing the right thing as well. This is a wonderful example of the hashtag I put on my topic. And the problem with feeling bad or judgment is, you know, you can read a Brené Brown book about this is you get then get guilty, then you get shame and it goes down. Everybody's going to have a different reaction. Some people are just going to be like, I don't care what you think. And that's, you know, that's good too. But it's like, that's something that will end up having some sort of bias into how we actually become a regenerative circular world. So the topic is, you know, like, what do we need to do and how do we need to be? So what do we need to do and how do we need to be to become a regenerative circular world? Yeah. And this is some work, obviously, you, you just talked about the company that you work for as well, which is business for development. And this is a big area of focus for you guys as well. So how do you do that? What do you do to help businesses? And I know you work a lot with farmers and things like that. So can you give some examples of the types of things that you do that actually help people in this area? Yes, absolutely. So we're an organization, we're not-for-profit, but we work with companies to have them add to the communities where they operate. And those are typically rural communities. So our primary beneficiary is a smallholder farmer. And a smallholder farmer is typically someone who is living and farming one to two hectares of land. And the farmers that we work with are typically subsistence farmers, which means they're not progressing, they're not getting their kids to school. And so regenerative for them is about getting every possible outcome from that land. So the company, it's an Australian company, but do you help only Australian businesses or do you help businesses globally? It's global. We work in Asia Pacific and we work in Africa and we're about to do work in Australia. We've done work in Australia before, but we're about to do some really interesting work in Australia around food security in a particular region where that's a problem. We're on a non-disclosure, so I can't really discuss that any further. So I'll give you examples from uh, Papua New Guinea and an example from Kenya. So I work quite hands-on in the business and I'm actually speaking from visceral experience, right? This isn't like an executive talking about what we do. I'm like hands in the dirt. Love it. It's good though. It's the only way to beat KJ, isn't it? It's very core. And so I work very closely hands-on in Papua New Guinea. And in Papua New Guinea, most people live a subsistence lifestyle. And we're working with rural farmers in an area called Hela Province. They grow what we would call sweet potato, but in Papua New Guinea it's cow-cow. And cow-cow sounds like a great thing to eat, except it's very low in protein. 
So pig is a cultural animal, but also an important source of protein in Papua New Guinea. But the problem with pigs in Papua New Guinea is you can't raise enough because there's not enough food for the pigs. And so you've got this kind of circular problem in Papua New Guinea. It's got the fifth worst birth rate in the world in terms of people aren't growing enough because they don't have enough protein. And so our program is taking two of the culturally significant things in Papua New Guinea, that being cow, cow and pigs, and working with them to be regenerative and circular. So we have formulated a stock feed based on sweet potato, cow, cow, where we ferment the cow, cow, and then we turn it into stock feed for the pigs. And this has been years and years in development. And this is very regenerative because it doesn't matter what it looks like, or if it's got a bit of mold on it, or if it's you know about to go off, we use it all because we're chipping it, we're fermenting it, we can store it, and we've just tested it on chickens and chickens like it too, which is really great news. And then we're going to build an outgrower model that meets the world's best standards in raising pigs because they'll be effectively not living in a piggery for the majority of their life. They'll be living on the smallholder farmer's land. They'll be paid to rear them. So you've got the best of both worlds because using all of the cow-cow, you're creating an environment that's local, right? So this is not imported stock feed. It's all local. So you eliminate the bags, you eliminate the transport, you eliminate all of that. You eliminate all of the importing of the pork. So Papua New Guinea, although they have been rearing pigs in country for thousands of years, are a net importer of pork. And so it solves all those problems. So that's a regenerative, circular, smallholder farmer design. Similar program with Kenya. We're growing cotton and it's rain-fed cotton, so it's seasonal. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Our customer is a patient buyer. And so when we don't have the cotton, they're supportive of that. They don't say this isn't going to work. They they buy the cotton in the season that's available. And then we take all of the off products of the cotton and we formulated that into stock feed. So we take the oil and the seeds and we use that as inputs in the stock feed for poultry. And we have a complete poultry program in Kenya. And so that, again, is, is circular. And, you know, I'm sure someone will listen to this and They'll say cotton, really, because there's a move away from cotton. And I understand that. But if you look at it in the context of what we're doing in that small local environment, it's a very powerful, regenerative, circular model because we're not irrigating. We're working on rain fed. We have a client that will buy all the cotton and understands they may not get the same amount every time. And we're taking all of the waste from the cotton turning it into stock feed to feed the poultry program, which solves an enormous challenge around protein. And poultry is a great solution for smallholder farmers because of the eggs. Mm. Oh, amazing examples. And what a cool business that you get to work on this sort of stuff every day, KJ, in terms of helping these farmers and companies and being better, more sustainable and that regenerative program, like it's, it's, I think the education piece is interesting as well. When people start to see it's not linear, it's a circular element. And the, the thing that I've found and in, in terms of the different experiences, especially through tourism over the years, is the more people understand how that kind of works, the more conscious they are. So it might be in a business sense. And then they go, oh, what can I do in my own, you know, my own life and my own impact in my own world? One of the great things I saw years ago was in um, a little cheese place in Tasmania called the Grand U. And the mother had started doing sheep cheese and 
making that and doing really well. And then her daughter was working in the business and then the son was sort of coming through the ranks and noticed all the fermentation and all the byproducts from actually making the cheese. And then so he started to make some gin and he's won all these awards now. It's crazy, like this amazing stuff. The thing about all this is that it takes time and energy, but we've got to move in this direction, which is why I think the way we hold the space is really important, right? If you're trying to eliminate single-use plastics and you're focused on that, what's important is someone doesn't walk into your house and start searching for the one thing that you're still using and then say, oh, really? And judge. It doesn't serve the outcome. It doesn't move us forward. I opened my drawer yesterday and I have like used beeswax wraps and you know, I'm very conscious about that, but I still have a box of glad wrap that I've had for like 10 years. And then a couple of plastic straws I have all still straws, but because I don't want to throw them out. Like it's just like actually defeats that purpose as well. So if there's something that I have to use in a particular element and I've got to use it, then I'll use a little bit of it and try and reuse it as much as I can. But I'm like, I'm not going to throw it out and just make me feel better because <laughs> I've had it for so long. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's important we don't do that. And unfortunately, that happens a lot. And what that does is it it holds the people who are ready to make the change back, but it also holds the people that aren't ready to say, see, there's no point. It's going to keep going this way. What would you say for people that are trying to make a bit of a difference on this space? I think you've got to be kind to yourself and to others. And you need to hold your life in balance for whatever is needed, you know? So I think everybody understands carbon offsetting, right? So, you know, if you think about your life as a little bit of an offset, right? So, okay, I'm doing this really well. I've got to make some changes here, but I'm doing well here. So I'll keep doing this and then I'll slowly get this side of my life going, right? Because I like sequence. I'm going to be honest about that. And I know that's not good. (laughs) And during COVID, I bought sequence clothes to make me happy because I had a very difficult time. Lost family members to COVID. You know, we had the whole horrible COVID experience. But at the same time, I'm doing all these other things, right? My day job is like that. So it's like, well, I'm going to be kind to myself. Yeah. Our mindset as an individual and our community mindset is critical if we want to drive change. So that's the first thing, right? I think we've got to have a personal and community mindset of we're all moving forward in the same direction and we're going to be kind to each other as we go. That's step one. The second thing is we need to ask the questions. We need to ask the questions around, oh, like if I buy this, I wonder where did this start from? Where is this going to end? I wonder about this. And then we need to ask the sellers that, right? I just recently returned a piece of clothing because it pilled and the supplier couldn't believe it. And I know why clothes pill, right? It's the fibers. And they took it back eventually. And I said, I'm doing this not to get the money back. I'm doing this because you you need to stop doing this, right? And so it's like, that took a lot of energy, right? That was six emails, a lot of photographs. And then I ended up name dropping. I was emceeing a conference recently. I said, oh, I can't get you that because I'm doing this. And then all of a sudden their behavior changed. We know what I was doing, Michelle, don't I? And it's because they thought, oh, my goodness, she's Australia's largest women's conference hosting it. She's happy with her clothes. Yeah, but it shouldn't need to take that, should it? It shouldn't need to do that because I was five emails in. I actually didn't do it on purpose. It was just accidental. I said, oh, I'm doing this, so I'll have to get you that photo. So I think it's about holding the suppliers to account. You know, I went behind a large grocery store in Australia to pick something up, and I was by where, you know, they load the food in, and there were, you know, the big check crates And there was lots of naked fruit, right? It was covered with plastic. And then they take it out of that plastic and then they put it in the basket and it looks like naked food. 
It's just false economy, right? So one is we need to think about it ourselves and then we need to ask the suppliers. We need to ask the questions. But then, you know, we need to then take accountability when we're getting to the end of the life cycle. What are we going to do with this? And it can be very draining and time consuming to do that. And we have to commit to that. We have to commit to that. It feels better as well, doesn't it? When you do the right thing, like in that regard, you know that you're having a positive impact, you know, essentially on our planet. I think it feels better. If I use an example with my pottery and making stuff that actually essentially will potentially last for several generations if someone looks after it is such a beautiful thing rather than a ton of stuff from Ikea or Kmart because it's in vogue now and it's cheap and I can afford it versus actually one or two bowls that I love. And like we've got my husband and I have two bowls that we eat out of nearly every meal and they were expensive bowls, but we love them and every meal tastes better. (laughs) I know. We in the Western world, we all have too much stuff. We just have too much stuff. So at the end of the life cycle, you say, okay, I'm going to downsize. I'm going to de-stuff. Am I going to find somebody who's a teacher who might use all of this leftover craft and stationery? And I'm going to put it in a nice little bag and label it, make it nice for them. So it's not in a black bag. Here it is, dump. You know, having just moved house, I've just done this. It's not easy. And maybe, maybe you're having a really bad day. And then one day you're just going to chuck, but then you wake up the next morning and you're like, no, I'm going to clean and redistribute. But today I just have to chuck. I've just had a water issue and I've been holding on to stuff in a little basket and I've been wanting to get it to a very bespoke recycler and I'm a little overwhelmed because I've got this problem. And I just thought, you know what, I just, I'm just letting this go. I'm just going to let this go. But the next day I'm back on track. And so I think that's really critical because if we don't do that, what we do is we do nothing. Yeah. But I think your point, as you said before as well, about not picking on others and judging yourself by someone else or, you know, going to someone's house and saying, you know, picking out, oh, why do you do this? Why do you do that? It's actually you do you and every element, you know, that you can make better and you can improve on and whether that's every week, every month or every year that, you know, to your point before, what did you say? Your car's like 16 years old or something, 18 years old? Oh, she's 18. Yeah. And your washing machine, you know, you've had forever as well. And we have that whole, you know, having grown up through that sense of, oh, newer is better and you know, you've got the latest gadget and, you know, the amount of people that like get a new phone every year. Like it's crazy, you know, rather than actually using something till the end of its life cycle, absolutely positively till it dies and then maybe fixing it. Phones <laughs> are a really good example because we at Business for Development, we work with the resource sector and a lot of people don't like that about us, right? But every single person... I know, with the exception of one person in my entire life, everything in their life is from a mine. Everything. Your headphones, your glasses, everything. And unless you're going to make your own shoes and, you know, all of that. Anyway, so I know a bit of data. How many minds have to be opened? How many different elements do you need to have one smartphone? No idea. Over 40. Wow. So we need to hold on to our phones and then we need to recycle every part of that because they're rare minerals, right? They're rare. And the manufacturers need to design them so we can do the best thing we can in terms of making them last. And then when we're done with them, how do we get them back to that manufacturer so we can harvest 
these rare minerals back out? How do we harvest back out of these things? It's critical. 40, over 40 mm, discrete mines. Yeah. So people listening are going, yep, okay, I need to get my butt into gear and I need to be better. How would you, you know, advise them to sort of start? Like what are the kind of elements? We've talked about food. We've talked a bit about fast fashion, talking about, you know, kind of our products that we use. What are the elements that are probably going to make the biggest impact first? I think the first thing is your mindset. My mindset is now that I'm going to contribute towards a regenerative circular world. I'm going to step forward into that. It's the way I live. And then the second thing is quick wins so that you're moving forward. What's a quick win for you? Whatever that is, right? And, you know, everybody's going to have different quick wins, but they're the fast, quick things you can do that give you a tick. I did that today. Tick. So that's reinforcing your mindset, right? So, yep, I'm moving forward. And so everything you're doing is moving forward. And then the third thing is giving yourself space that if you're having a really bad day, you allow yourself, I'm going to move back today, but then I'm going to move forward, forward, forward. So my mindset changes. I'm going to be a regenerative circular planet person. Two, I'm going to make some quick wins. Three, I'm going to create a space in my life so that if I have a bad day, I can do that. And then four is I'm going to start talking about it. I'm going to start asking questions. And if someone says, oh, sure, you drive an old car, but I saw you online in a sequin thing. You say, I know, I've got to improve that. I'm never going to buy any more sequins. I've done that. I did that in COVID. I had a lot of really bad things happen to me. And you keep going and you keep going. And the thing about the problems, what I see is, you know, they almost feel like intractable problems that we're facing as a world. You know, if you look at the difference between the problems with the ozone layer and climate change, you know, what is, was because we solved the ozone layer problem, right? And that was easy to solve because you could contain the problem. You knew, well, we have a small amount of ingredients that are causing the problem if we just stop that. Mm. But also we could see it. Don't you think that was it? Like the physicality of it, like you could see that that was a problem. I think also because to solve the root cause of ozone, it could be regulated, you know, so that chemicals that were causing the problem were regulated. That was changed at the source, right? So if you think about supply and value chains, the problem was fixed at the source, right? And in between fixing the root cause, people became aware that a can of hairspray was a big problem. Too many refrigerators were a big problem. And and it was like targeted items and everybody could get their head around it. Where the problems we have now, they're circular with the ocean heating. It's a circular problem, which are very hard to fix. But every small change helps that circular problem. Everything chips away at it. Everything chips away at it. And when you get everyone chipping away at a problem, problems get solved. And that is only going to work if our economic models change. But if we as individuals start to do that, the economic models will follow the behavior of the consumer because it has to. And the challenge around profit and share price, that's another big topic and probably not for this podcast, but that will need to change as well. We have to value different things, right? Because if suppliers are not building to last, then we have a challenge. And, you know, the reason why my wash machine and my car are still going is because they were built to last. Yeah, it shits me, the whole Apple concept. Things start to die after certain you're like, hmm, pretty sure this should last a lot longer than that. But you've given me lots of things to think about. I hope the listeners are going to go away as I've just written a whole list of stuff here that I'm like, oh, I need to check that. I need to think about this. And yeah, I think you've given such great tactical and practical info for us to kind of, you know, make some changes in our life, but also to be kinder to ourselves and to others. And your key point at the start to, you know, lose the judgment. 
don't be judging others. Everyone's having a crack at this, it, you know, well, hopefully, and we can all do better and be better, which is lovely. Yeah, excellent. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been great to see you recently and now see you on the podcast. And I, I look forward to speaking to you next month about some beautiful pottery. Thanks, KJ. See you soon. Ciao. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.